welcome to the Screen Strong Families Podcast, bringing you the best solutions for parents who are serious about eliminating screen problems in their home. And I will add, prevent them too. <laughs> I think we need to add that. This is Melanie Hempy, and I'm so glad you are here as always. I hope you're having a great day. I want to welcome everyone. If you are one of our regular listeners, welcome back. We're so glad that you've hung in with us with all these messages and guests. And if you're new, we are so glad that you're um, going to be a new friend of ours and that you found us. And I just want to say that you are not alone with your screen frustrations. You have found your people over here at Screen Strong. So thank you so much for joining us. Okay, take a deep breath. Ready or not, school is upon us. I would wish I could say, hope you're having a good summer, but you're you're not having a summer anymore. <laughs> We're all starting school. So I think a lot of parents are revisiting the smartphone social media decision this time of year. I've had a lot of emails, a lot of activity in our Facebook group, and, and just in my normal out and about going out uh, being around moms again here at school, everyone is starting to question what they should do about smartphones this year since the beginning of any school year marks the beginning of new things, right? You're getting new clothes, you're for your kids, if you're like us, you have to get new shoes every few months because they just keep growing. You're getting that new backpack and whatnot. And you're thinking, you know, this is maybe the time when I need to revisit this smartphone social media decision. So we are here today to just help you think about some things that you may not have thought about in the past. I think sometimes parents equate an advancement in a grade to an advancement in maturity for their kids. After all, he or she is in high school now, for example, and shouldn't this naturally lead to an advancement in screen privileges? The answer is no, but I don't want you to hang up yet. I want to explain why. I think that we really confuse intelligence with maturity, and we've said this a lot in our Screen Strong messaging. And this was a big aha moment for me when I realized that just because my kids were smart and they were getting smarter did not mean that they were mature or mature enough to have an adult device like a smartphone. And with that comes social media in their pocket all day. So let's not confuse intelligence with maturity that gets them in a lot of trouble. I think also right now that parents are feeling like they need to balance screen use the way that you balance something like dessert in your home. And we need to let go of that little myth. We don't balance things that are bad for our kids or that are extremely addictive for them. I know sometimes we argue around that word addiction. So we could say maybe we shouldn't balance things that cause our kids to fight with us and argue with us and um, cause them to just go off the rail. So we, we want to balance things, but not the bad things. And, and then we think that we need to just let go and let them fail so they can learn because they can only learn from their failures, right? Well, yeah, that's pretty true. But as parents, we have to balance what they're going to fail with, I guess. You have to decide in your family what your values are and what you're willing. But I was thinking about something the other day, and I wanted to share just this little story with you, this little brain explosion I had when I was sitting on the beach this summer. So if you have been to the beach lately, or if you remember ever being on the beach and sitting there and seeing out in the distance on the horizon of the beautiful ocean, a huge ship. 
So it's so cool, right, to see these tankers or maybe it's an aircraft here. I don't know what they are out there, but you see them and they go really slow and they're moving across the horizon. And it's just so always so fascinating to me that if a hurricane or a tropical storm hits, the chances are very slim that that big ship will sink. It's just amazing. I just love watching them. But then you may have also seen little sailboats and paddle boards or rafts or any of those little things that you see in the ocean when kids are playing and families are out doing things. And I want you to think about your family foundation as that big ship or air, aircraft carrier. And now I want you to think about what happens when you give your teens access to a smartphone or toxic screens. It's like you're sending them off on a little lifeboat or a little raft, you know, those little blow up things. So just imagine you're on your big aircraft carrier and your kids are you know, in eighth grade, they're about to go into ninth grade. You think, oh, they're ready. So we're going to just send them off into this little life raft. And then that's kind of giving them their phone. And oh, they're having so much fun. And they're out there with all their friends are having a blast. And all these little rafts are out there. And then all of a sudden, a big storm hits. And in our world of technology, this big storm hits like every day. It's like in Florida. It like rains every afternoon, I think, in Florida. So I know this analogy isn't perfect, but I think it's really good to get us to start thinking about what we're doing when we give smartphones to kids and middle schoolers and even high schoolers. We are setting them up to fail. They are going to sink when that daily storm of the digital world comes. We will lose them. Then we jump off in a panic and we try to go rescue them. And some kids will get rescued and some honestly won't get rescued. They'll, they'll drown. Then we start all over the next day. And guess what? We, we give it to them again the next day. But we're going to try to give them wonderful conversations and parental controls. And we're going to try to keep that raft from sinking. We try to give instructions and we make our kids stronger, right? By telling them what to do. Don't push that button and don't do that. And then we put all the parental controls. And so we're trying to make this raft stronger. But the fact is, it's still a raft and all of those ideas will not work. No little raft will withstand the storm. That is a given. That is a fact. That is science. And it is the truth that never changes. But it's so hard for us to, as parents because we think, well, I don't want to keep them on, on my big ship, right? We can't keep them here forever. And what I just want to tell you is that you will never be able to make that raft strong enough for the digital storm that's happening. Your kids will sink. Maybe they won't drown, but they will not have good experiences. It is the wrong tool during the, the wrong time of development. They need to be on your aircraft carrier till they are ready to launch. It's a big aircraft carrier and there is plenty of room for independence on this thing. You are not keeping them smothered, but they are not ready to get in that little dinghy called smartphone and the teen digital world and survive. Remember, your teenager is very, very smart, but that frontal cortex isn't fully developed. And that's where the judgment center comes in. Plus, the raft is not strong. We can't make it strong enough for this storm that happens in adolescence. So we need to start the year off right. So today we are going to have such a fabulous discussion with a wonderful friend and guest of mine here, Tara Lee Moore. She is a professor at a university who will share with you a list of tips to get this school year off to a good start. And your kid doesn't have to be in college to listen to this. I just want you to hear from an expert some of the things that um, really is heavy on her heart as a teacher 
to help you get this year off to a good start. And I will just start by saying, I think she's probably going to say not to get your smartphone. But anyway, let's get started. Welcome, Tara Lee. Thank you, Melanie. I'm, I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Give us a little bit about your background. Of course, I know you really well, but just tell our listeners kind of Brag about yourself a minute. I, I had a wonderful math teacher in high school, and so that kind of got me started off on the, the right track, I guess. She allowed me to love math. Not a math genius by any means. Far, far, many, many, every professor at my university is probably smarter than I am in math, but I just love it. It just makes sense, and, and I love to teach it. Of course, I majored in math in college and, and uh, began teaching high school math. I did that for a few years, and then I moved to a community college and did that for a few years. Um, then I had a baby and took a few years off for, for being a mommy. But then I came back, and I'm now at a four-year university, and uh, this is actually my 17th year there. So, oh, my goodness. Um, I love it. I love my job. I love, I love it. And I know you do a lot of tutoring too, right? With yes. high school kids. Yes, I tutor. Yes, that's that's. I live in a neighborhood, and when the word got out that a math teacher lived in the neighborhood, <laughs> my phone started ringing. So yes, it did. <laughs> but I'd love um, having Terry on to share with y'all so many of the discussions that I have with her as we just visit and talk and get together. And of course, the subject always comes up. It's just such a big issue in schools as far as all the screens and the smartphones and laptops and all that. And I just love listening to her wisdom and her experience. Because, you know, honestly, most of us maybe are not teachers, uh, you know, and yet I know a lot of teachers are in our audience terribly, but I know there's just a lot of moms out there and they're like, what can I do? Because, you know, we all want our kids to get uh, ahead. And we do, and that's fine. And we should, and that's what we should want for our kids. And so I'm really big on preventing problems. And so when you and I were talking recently about, you know, the, the topic of what are some good tips that parents can do early, you know, to really help them and to set their kids up for success in learning in general, not just math, but of course, math is kind of hard sometimes for kids. So that's, that's why you are out there tutoring them. But we came up with some things and mostly, I mean, I I just love the conversation we had. So I just want to share it right now. So let's get started with the list that you um, helped me come up with. So let's start it. What's the first thing that you would say to uh, be a really good tip to help your kids get started on the right track this year, this school year? I think encouraging your student or your child to sit in front of the class. That, I, I always kid my students and tell them the front row is the A row. You're more likely to make an A sitting on the front row than you are anywhere else in the class. Now, that doesn't mean it's not going to happen somewhere else, but there's less distraction just sitting in the front row. I, 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 a friend of mine, her daughter is coming to um where I teach. And she was very nervous about her daughter coming. And so one day when she was there, we, we walked her class uh, schedule. The, before classes started, we walked her class schedule. And in every room as we walked in, I said, now, okay, well, let's think about where are you going to sit in here? Where, where do you think would be a good spot? It's empty right now. And she pointed to somewhere and I'm like, mm -mm, no, you need to sit in the front. If you can't mm -hmm. get in the front row, get in the second row, no further back than that. Now, obviously every student can't 
sit there, but every student's not going to have a parent saying sit in the front row. So um, <laughs> it, it makes a difference. It truly makes a difference where the child sits in the class. I think, I so. think there's I think there's probably some research on that that absolutely backs that up. That um, kids that sit closer to the front are less distracted. And when you told me this the other day, I decided to ask my my kids. They're high school seniors now, and last night at dinner. I asked him, you know, um, for their different classes, they were going through their schedule telling us cause they just started and they were telling us, you know, each of the class. And I said, where are you sitting? Uh-huh. <laughs> and, 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 and I mean, and they were like, Oh, I mean, one of them was like, Oh, I always, I always sit in the front mom because I really, you know, um, can't pay attention. Um, if I sit other places and then he said a couple of our classes, we're sitting in circles. So I thought that was really cool if the class is small enough, but, I, th- I think from my mom's seat here, I would, if your kids are little, even because this applies to all ages, right? Dearly, this isn't just. Yes, yes, yes. In college. Now, right. Some don't have a choice, I think, when, you know, the teacher may already have a seating chart made out. But I would, if you could, encourage the teacher to to yeah. not keep them in that same seat year round to give everybody a chance to sit in the front. Well, and I think it, I think it's really refreshing for you as a parent to talk to the teacher and say, hey, can he sit in the front? Is that OK? And let them know that you care about that. That's a great tip. That is so the number one tip is get your kid to sit in the front of the class um, mm-hmm. so they can pay attention. What's the second one? Well, and hmm, this is a hard one to, to say because I do it, but I can't make other teachers do it. Um, I I don't allow laptops open in my class. I just don't. They're too distracting. It's too easy to go shopping. It's too easy to, to, uh, you know, check your Instagram account, whatever. It's too easy to, to get distracted. And being in math, you know, sometimes students will tell me that, that they like to type their notes. Well, then I quickly have an argument. You, you can't type math notes fast enough. You can't. There's so many symbols in math that aren't on the standard keyboard that uh, they you can get them, but it's, it's too many clicks to get these mm. math symbols. So, but I think in general, and, and I, this is just my own own classroom um, research, I have never had a student who insisted on having their laptop out during class to pass a class. Never. In my 17 years, now we haven't had laptops around. um, Right. Oh, I can't remember when students wanted to start bringing laptops, maybe the last 10 years but I have never had a student to pass the class who insisted. So now I just don't allow them to have a laptop Mm -hmm. in class unless they have a special accommodation. We do have students that come in with special accommodations. And of course, Mm -hmm. I allow for that, but just in general, no, no laptop. It's, it's just too easy. I, I, and, and I'll be honest, if I'm sitting in a meeting and I have my iPad there maybe with the agenda for the meeting up, it's really easy to click over to something else and, and just lose track. So I just don't allow it in my classroom. I love that. That is a very bold statement. And that is so screen strong to not allow laptops in the class. And I do know there is a lot of um, 
a lot of professors and teachers out there that also agree with that. I know just from my daughter being in college, and we talked about this on our on an earlier podcast a long time ago, that she had out of her five classes at the time, I think she had three classes that she said that you weren't allowed to bring the laptops in. So I think that's always really shocking. I feel like in high school, things are just out of control. And then you get to college and you've got certain universe, university professors that are just saying, I'm not having it. It's very disrespectful and very distracting for the other kids, right? That are all around. So I, th- I think that that little story is just fascinating that you just don't allow them. And, you know, especially for math, that doesn't make any sense. But I would what, what I would do now is I would talk to your teacher now. Um, as the school gets started and ask them about their laptop policy. Right. And yes, as a teacher, would you be offended? I mean, you don't have to say this just because you know me, but would you be offended if a parent came in and said, I really want as little computer time in class. I'd rather my student be talking to you, the teacher, Would that be offensive to you? I don't think so. I I think I, I, well, personally, I would be impressed with that parent, but um, I, I, I'm sure it could have been some professors, teachers. I'm sure it could, but but it's your child. I'd be willing to take that chance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. And you do it in a nice way, of course. Yeah, say yes. things in a nice way. And there is a lot of uh, research on this, and we do have this in the resource dep- um, area in our in our website, in screenstrong.com. We have um, a resource section that has research studies on laptops in the classroom. So the third one is similar. What's the third one? Well, the smartphones in the class. And again, just a, a tremendous distraction for students mm-hmm. who have their phones out during class. I know some professors can do surveys, and I've been in meetings before where they use these cute apps where they ask a question and everybody answers on their phone and then it appears on the screen in the front of the room. And and that is fun and interesting, but I think there are other ways to, to do it. It, it, it. it is that kind of risk versus the benefit. I, mm-hmm. I feel like that the distraction is just too much. I have did a little experiment in my classroom a few years ago and I got... Um, from Amazon, I ordered this shoe bag and I called it my cell phone parking lot. And I, um, in one class, I told students that they would lose points if I saw them with their cell phones out. I had asked them, the policy in the class was to keep the cell phone put away. And that as I saw them with them out, that I would make a note and there would be a, a some type of deduction in points. I don't remember exactly how I did it, but there was some type of deduction in points. And and it's funny, students think when they're looking straight down in their lap that we don't realize that they have their phone out, but we do, we do know That's that. Funny. Uh, yeah. But so it's, it's those teacher eyes, we can see everything. Yeah. But um, also that was in one class, they would lose points if they had their phone out. In another class, I had this cell phone parking lot. I would bring it every day, and every uh, every student in the class had a had a slot to stick it in, kind of like a kindergarten class almost with cubby holes. And I would have them put their phone there, and told them if they put their phone there each day that they would receive bonus points 
for mm-hmm. not having their phone out during class because I had the phones on this front table. Um, so they couldn't get to their phones during the class. Well, I, the cell phone parking lot was full every day. I mean, they <laughs> all wanted the bonus points. They wanted yeah. the extra bonus points. And and again, I just gave them a couple of extra points on a test. I think it wasn't a tremendous thing, but it was a, enough for them enough. to put their phones up. Um, and the class that I was going to take the points away, in the beginning, they had their phone, but then the, the it that kind of fell apart. They all started having their phones out. The The loss of points did not make enough difference for them to put their phones up. But the uh-huh. bonus points was enough that that was what they wanted to put. So I love my cell phone parking lot. Um, in a huge class, obviously, you can't do that. I'm sure there'll be some people who argue that that they don't want their child's phone taken away. Um, but uh, in my class, i I don't have, I never touch their phone there. They put it in the parking lot and then they pull it out of the parking lot. And I was amazed how many students left. We had a plan for if a student left their phone in the parking lot, you know, Mm -hmm. and they left the class. We had a plan for what would happen with that because in college, I have to leave that room because there's another class coming in immediately after me with another professor. So we had a plan of where the phone would go. It was amazing how many students left their phone there. They just walked right out. They just just left. They they walked right out. And and that class participated more. It's just getting the distraction away from them. They they seemed to gel as a class. They were friends inside the classroom. I don't know if they were outside the classroom, but they were friends with each other. and, And when I'd walk in, they were talking to each other more and making friends. And, and that's just always a, a good thing in a classroom. Mm-hmm. And that, that goes with another point that you, that we had, had talked about. So let's talk about that just a little bit more right now um, about that point about making friends in the classroom. Oh yes. Anytime in college, students may not have as many friends as they would in maybe a middle school, elementary, middle, or high school class. I mean, they've been with these students for however many years and they know each other. But in college, a lot of times you're walking in and you you don't know anybody. So typically when I walk in a class for the first day, everybody is looking straight down at their phone because they don't know each other and it's scary a little bit. But when you take the phones away and you make them talk to each other, then they become friends, they gel with each other, class participation is better the entire semester when that happens. And and when that happens, everybody does better. The the good students are gonna do very well, but the they pull the weaker students up. The weaker wow. students are pulled up when the class discussions are are just robust and everybody's participating and everybody jails. It makes a lot of difference in the classroom. And when they don't have the phone distracting them, when their phone's in the parking lot, I can see where that totally makes that happen easier. And what's another way, I guess, as a teacher, another way would be to make that easier is just by asking them some questions. I think you told me about something you did in the classroom recently where you asked them a question or something and they all had to answer and then they all kind of started 
doing the icebreaker thing, I guess. Yes, yes. And and I do that in a high in a college class because they don't know each other. I will do some of these little icebreaker um, exercises where I will have students interview two students will be paired up and one will interview the other with questions and then they introduce each other to the class. You don't go around the room and tell about yourself. You tell about the person um, that you interviewed. So that, and, and everybody answers the same questions or there's, there's groups of questions and you pick two from that and you pick two from that. And Melanie, you'll be interested to know that one of the questions on my little interview sheet is, would you rather you lose your cell phone or your wallet? That is one of my questions. On wow. The boys, <laughs> it's it, it's usually half and half. I'm always amazed at how many people say they'd rather lose their cell phone. In fact, I was shocked the first time I used that question because I yeah. thought nobody's going to want to lose their cell phone. Nobody is. Yeah. But it, yeah. almost every class, it's about half and half. If I've got 20 students, it's, it's nine wow. and 11 or 10 and 10. It's really close to being half and half. But I did notice that girls typically pick um, losing their cell phone and boys or young men usually pick losing their wallet. I don't know why, but that's, I, I, I have no research to say why, but that's usually how it is. Well, and this goes right in line. I mean, I think all you're doing, which is so great is you have intuitively figured out that if we can remove this distraction, then we start developing relationships. And this is what happens even in lower school and middle school and high school, even all through the teenage years, the less access they have to phones during the school day, the better they do in their grades, their overall mental health, their ability to talk with other students, to get to know the teachers better, everything improves. And there is really in the last couple of years, I have seen a real big push in the whole culture to start really taking a second look at um, smartphones in the classroom. It has been refreshing for me to see how many schools are actually writing policies on this. Now, whether or not they can really enforce them, that's a whole nother discussion, but at least change is starting to happen. And in our podcast from last week, you know, we talked about this as well, like how to do this in your school. And one of the things that was discussed was how it has to start from teachers. Like you, if teachers are allowing them, then, you know, it's going to be really hard for the school to do anything. But the teachers, especially teachers like you who really know the difference, it's really refreshing to hear this. And I hope that people listening, that all you parents out there listening, will really take this to heart to understand that our children do not need smartphones in the classroom. They honestly don't need laptops all day during the school day. I think there are certain things they can use them for, but they certainly don't need them all day because then they can't, you know, they can't focus. I think um, making friends, this number four, making friends in the, in the class that, that we're talking about right now, um, that is such a big pivotal point right now at the beginning of the year. So we're talking about these tips for the beginning of the year. I'm a big fan of um, having a social at the beginning of the year. I know most every school and class, you know, these, these lower grades, you know, they all have socials at the end of the year, right? This is like a big thing. And I think it's backwards. I think we should be having a class social at the beginning of the year. And we do this with our screen strong groups in the school. We, if you are in a school right now listening to this, you can start a screen strong group and have your meeting now. We're getting ready to have our kickoff in September 
at our school, but you have your meeting where all the parents come together and they get to know each other a little bit. And then you have screen strong activities for kids. And that is just anything that's non-tech, but there is a big, big connection, right? Between having personal relationships in your class and in your grades, because it, I think it really helps them learn when they like the people that are in their class and they know the people and there's accountability and then they start asking more questions and studying together. There, there's a real correlation there, I think. Yes. And, and if you feel comfortable with the people you're with, you're more likely to ask questions when you don't understand something. If, if you don't know anybody, you don't want to ask a question mm-hmm. because you, you don't want to. It's look, awkward. Yeah. It is very awkward. You don't want to look like you don't know things. Mm-hmm. And, um, but when you're just amongst friends, friends, then yeah. it's okay. It's okay. Yes. So parents can think about that now, having some small group socials, even at your own home during these first few weeks to get your children introduced to new people, maybe in their class and get them to be more comfortable. Okay. What is number five? Where are we on our list? Number five. Well, number five, I think relates back to number two about the laptops in the classroom. Number five is to take handwritten notes in class. Um, the, and I say it relates back because students sometimes say they want to take notes on their laptop and I I haven't done any of my own research, but there's plenty of research out there that says that students do better taking handwritten notes. I I don't know the, the, the brain has to see Mm -hmm. on the board or hear what the teacher is saying and then process that to write down the notes and, um, and that's just better than typing it out on a laptop. It's better to do it that way. Um, I know students think, well, they don't write as much anymore. And a lot of times students don't even learn cursive anymore. Now I'm not saying they have to take notes in cursive, but I think some of these skills that they're losing, um, and not teaching because they're not tested on it. I, I, to me, that's very sad. But yeah. but yes, just taking handwritten notes in a class, I think, is is very helpful to the learning process. If you're interested in reading more about this, Marianne Wolf is an author who has written a lot on this subject. I've got most of her books and I really love it. And the fact is that you're right, that our hands take up a big area of real estate in our brain. And so the more you use your hands, the more your brain is working. And when you can have um, a child, you know, form that letter in his head, then he has to form it with his hands. It, it's just, it reinforces all the learning and taking handwritten notes will, will improve grades drastically. If you have a child who's having a hard time paying attention, that's a big deal. All right. Number six, what's number six? Okay, number six is uh, for all those procrastinators out there, don't get behind on the homework or the projects. Help your student learn to use a planner. I, I had a third grade teacher who we made planners and every day we would get those planners out and we'd write what our homework was and we'd take that homework at home and, and bring it back and check it off and I, I just think I still use a paper calendar. Um, I put things on my phone reminders, but but I still need to see it out in front of me and and seeing it 
makes me realize, okay, I need to do this. I need to do my homework. I need to do my projects. Most of the time, homework is usually due the next day. So, so that's, but sometimes projects and papers, you, you have a little time to go and, and teaching your child to, to get right on that when it's assigned. A lot of times teachers will work with you to, if you do a rough draft, even a week or two before it's done and take it to the teacher and say, Hey, am I on the right track? Teachers mm-hmm. love that. Uh, where <laughs> most of the time teachers, you know, most of the time the kids doing it the night before it's due and, and yes. there's no rough draft. There's no planning ahead. But I tell my students all the time, I, go ahead, get started. I'm happy to look at it. No grade involved, just get you on the right track. And then you'll be sure to make a good grade in the end if, if you've taken advantage of, of getting started ahead and letting me help you along the way. If you uh, don't have a paper planner for your child, please put that on your list of things to get this week. I know that a lot of schools have these available if you have this, the younger grades and even through middle school. But high schools usually don't have those available. I know in our school, they would pass out these little spiral planners and they were fabulous. But then in, in middle school, but then in high school, they, they stopped. So this week, one of my boys reminded me, mom, I need a planner, you know, and um, the frustrating thing is, you know, I went to some of the, I don't know, regular stores to go look and they're huge. They're too big and they're heavy and they're all cardboard. I'm like, no, no, no. You just need a slim planner that will fit. And it needs to be weekly. They need to see what is happening this week in their life. And it actually reduces a tremendous amount of stress when you have a paper planner. And it is a big difference than just seeing the little four inch thing on your calendar on your phone. Maybe for adults, you know, you're fine with that. But for a child and for a teenager, they really need to see the big picture and they need to see, it's just a, it's just a different process in your brain and it reduces stress when you know that you're not, um, you know, forgetting something and a teenager's bent toward procrastination is huge. Time management is one of the hardest executive function skills to learn yet it affects you the rest of your life. So teaching them early, not only will reduce stress, but it will help them get better grades. And it's something they can't do unless you as the parent coach uh, figures out what they need. And this is definitely one thing that they need. So what's number seven? Oh, number seven. One of my favorite things is sleep. Pay attention to how much your child is sleeping. I, I, college students don't sleep. I don't think I, I don't. I, I, I'll get a text or not a text, but I'll get an email from a student at two o'clock in the morning. And I'm thinking, what? go to bed. But, yeah. um, but <laughs> we need to pay attention and maybe getting them into habits at home will will transfer when they go to college. Just kind of plan your evening and, and structure dinner time and wind, wind down time. And of course, I'm going to say no gaming, um, but because that's my... my yeah, during the school week, especially. Exactly. Yeah. During the school week. Yeah. And just play it, pay attention to the, the schedule and make sure that, you know, they're, we are planning for sleep. I know that that college students, that age, young adult needs about eight hours a night. And I doubt very few of them are getting that much sleep. Mm -hmm. High schoolers need nine hours and 15 minutes. Oh, goodness. Even more. Yeah. They need more 
really than than they did in middle school is crazy. Um, but that's what the American Sleep Academy yada yada says in the um, all, all those big men. nine hours and fifteen minutes. I am that's so failing. I know, but for their brain, see, is going through all that reorganization and pruning and all that stuff is happening. And that is what they're supposed to be getting. And it's really sad because their body clocks are kind of resetting and they want to go to bed later. But this all ties in to why they can't get up in the morning, why they procrastinate with stuff. Sleep is really the answer to so many mental problems too. We keep seeing research. I've, I had two articles sent to me today. I usually get one few of them a month, but I had two today sent to me by some physicians that I work with about sleep and adolescence and health and mental health. And it is just really, really important. One thing at our house, and I love that you bring this up as a back to school tip, because one thing at our house, I learned early on with the boys that if I could put a reading light by their bed and a book that they would get in bed and that wind down, down um, period of just reading, because one of them always falls asleep when he reads. <laughs> so, But reading is a fabulous thing to do right before you go to bed, but not on your screen, because the blue light's very different, but just a regular book light with a book at the end of the day that really helps your kids fall asleep. Well, that's nice to know that that's research, because that's what I do every night. I read not for, and this is just... Um, you know, not, not for knowledge reading per se, not subject matter, just, yes, just fun reading, just some. Yeah. And that's what we have by their beds. We have um, their extra reading, not their homework reading. So it's reading for pleasure. We know statistically and all the research that has been done in this area that reading for pleasure at the age of 15 will, is a marker for academic success the rest of your life. Like if you're reading for pleasure at that age, you know, um, not, not as a homework assignment. So that's pretty fascinating. Okay. We've got just a couple more. What's uh, number eight? Meet the teacher early, meet the teacher, have the student meet the teacher, maybe even have the teacher over for lunch or dinner or, or meet them somewhere for lunch or dinner, just to let your student and just, it's just such a bonus for teachers to know their students and, and the student to feel comfortable with the teacher. I, I love when students pop in my office, not for any other reason than just a chit chat, just wow. to get to know me and me get to know them. And, and it, it just makes such a difference in the classroom. I can't think of anything that has more power than that, really. And it only takes a few minutes, but they're thought, this is thought through on the parent end because kids aren't thinking about this, you know, when they're little, but I know we do a lot of this where we live. A lot of the preschool teachers, for example, will actually go meet the parent of the preschool. They'll go to their house, they'll meet them, have coffee. And then by the time we get to middle school and high school, we don't do that anymore. And I'm like, it's almost more important to, to do it as you get older. Right. And just to form those relationships. Yes, we did. But growing up, my uh, I I think my brother and I had our teachers over for dinner every grade of our lives. That was just I'm, again, I'm old, but that yeah, was just something no, that we used to do every. I year still remember it. I dinner. I remember my fourth grade teacher. His name was Mr. Gunderman, and he came to our house for dinner. And we, it it just you form this 
relationship. And then every year after that, we had teachers over. It's just really a fascinating thing that we have stopped doing this. And I know we're all busy and people maybe don't have time, but just recently we had one of the high school teachers over to her house. And my goal this year is to have all their different teachers over. And it really doesn't take that much effort. And just to hear their discussion at the table is that's just really going to help their year. They, to know someone in, in that setting, I'm not saying you have to always have them over for lunch or dinner, but it is really nice. It is really nice to get to know them on a little bit deeper layer there. Yes. I think it really helps. Yeah. Good start. Okay. What's number nine? Number nine, I think most students are probably going to have some homework on their laptop. I, I even assign it. I, I, we all know how I feel about laptops, but <laughs> at my university, the software that our math department has um, decided to use, the homework is on the computer. It is a software package. Um, and it is on the computer. So students have to have their computer out at some point. So as a high school student or middle school or even elementary, if they have to have their laptop out for homework, be behind them, know what they're doing, have them do that screen homework first, and then put the screens away. As soon as they take their screen homework into their bedroom, then they're not doing their homework the whole time. They may come out and say, mom, it took me two hours to do my math homework. Well, no, it probably took about 30 minutes. The other time you were doing other things on, you, you were distracted. You Something would pop up, something yeah. would um, distract you on the computer and you're back and forth and back and forth. So as soon as, if, if you're in that brain math mode, as soon as it flips to something else, oh. it's going to take you some time to get your brain back in that math mode. So I heard that um, it takes 20 minutes. I know this sounds crazy. I literally read a study and this may be on our website as well, that it took 20 minutes to really get back in the groove and in the zone after a distraction. That doesn't surprise me. And when you're in a class of that's 50 minutes long, minor 50 minutes long, one distraction, two distractions, I'm, I'm, toast. I mean, they're not, I've lost them. Exactly. But if you're at home, then you can just kind of be there uh, with them and, and, and realize what they're doing and keep them focused on that homework and then put that screen away. Yeah. And it's accountability. And I know it gets harder as they get a little bit older into high school, but even now, even with our high school kids, we have a desk in our kitchen and they sit and I see the back of their heads. I see the front of their screens. I know what they're doing. And sometimes they'll get distracted, start listening to some music off on some kind of thing. And I'm like, okay, guys, let's refocus. But this is really important to start this now at the beginning of the year before the grades start to fail and go down. Don't wait midterm and then say, oh no, figuring out the problems. Just start this year. It's a new year. It's a new leaf. It's a new day. You get to say, okay, this is our new rule. Um, by the way, mom and dad, you get to make new rules all the time, however you want to make them all the time. Like that, yes. that's your prerogative. Yes. <laughs> as soon as you figure something out here, you know, so every Wednesday you listen to the Screen Strong Families podcast, you can have new rules every Wednesday. <laughs> so, but this co-viewing is super, super important. And it just, I, I think maybe I could do a whole podcast on this because I feel like this is what's wrong. We are not, we're, our kids are not accountable for their time that they're spending on these devices. And you can't 
depend on a parental control or some monitoring software to do this. And if you can just get that screen homework done, this is one of my tips to get the screen homework done as soon as they get home early in the afternoon, if you can just to make that the priority, you know, you always do the hardest thing first when you're doing a job, right? So get that screen homework done, shut the lid, be done. Then they can read, then they can do their math because hopefully they can write and do, and they can do different things and play outside, but get it done. Co-view with them. Like Terry said, the minute you sit down to co-view, it doesn't mean you're just hovering over their shoulder. You get a book, right? Like I get a book a lot. That's how I get a lot of my reading done. I get my book when they were in middle school, I would sit down next to them. They would do their homework. I would just be present. I, I wasn't watching every little keystroke, but I'd be present. I'd read my book. They'd do their homework. And I would say, okay, in 30 minutes, we're going to be done. And we'd shut the lid and be done. But you just got to get it done right when they get home. If this gets drug out, it's a nightmare and parents won't be able to, to watch them. And you do need to have, your kids do need accountability. I think it's one of the, the worst stages in life where kids don't have accountability. You, you go to work at a job, you have to have accountability. You have to account for your time. You know, you can't just go to work and play video games all day, although probably some people do that. But anyway, I'm really big on that. Okay. What's your final tip here for the beginning of the year? Well, the final tip kind of gets the student out of the classroom, extracurricular activities, clubs, get your students and get your children involved in those. I encourage my college students to join clubs. They they need a place to be non-academic for a little bit, and it helps them to know, uh, gets them to know other students activities that they can do that are adult led at, at, you know, a a child age, a middle school age, a high school age, it's going to increase their academic success. And this is research-based. This, I was shocked when I read the research on this, and this is available in our course as well. We have the research that shows that two activities during the high school years, two activities done for two consecutive years in a row. And the third part of that was, of course, they're adult led. It's not like the Fortnite club, you know, <laughs> where you've got your buddy <laughs> leading it, <laughs> but two activities for two years where there's some progress will increase your child's academic success throughout the rest of their high school and college years. And it increases their income. Like they did the long-term study to show how in lot, you know, at the end of their life or in the middle of whatever, and they're in their working years, they're making more money. And because there's so many things you learn from these extracurricular activities. And I really believe this is such a great one to, to end on because I really believe that, that this generation of having screens in their pocket, these little weapons, you know, of mass destruction as you know, we like to call them here, having those little weapons and these screens and these distractions in their pocket, it removes them from having a balanced life, right? Cause it takes so much of their energy and time and, focus. And so by having extracurricular activities, you're keeping them grounded in the real world because most extracurricular activities, you know, it's either sports or music or art or clubs, you know, you're around other people. And so I think that the the studies on this and the research on this just point back to the importance of having our kids grow up with other human beings and not always depending on their virtual worlds. So that's a wonderful tip. All these tips have been 
fabulous. I wish I had talked to you about this when my oldest was uh, in school and all, you know, but we learn as we go. And um, I think that today, Terry, you've really helped a lot of people um, get ahead because this, these tips will really put you ahead. And I love that we're doing it now right here at the beginning of the school year, because it's really sad mid-year to start figuring this stuff out. You want to, you know, learn it at the beginning of the year. So thank you so yes. much. Can you, can you end just with, I'm going to put you on the spot. Can you end with any encouragement for maybe a, a, a non-college parent, you know, someone that, they're, I mean, not non-college, but their kid isn't in college yet is what I mean. But can you end with a word of encouragement for parents who have school age kids that are just really overwhelmed, that listen to all this and just think, I can't do these things, you know? Maybe I could do one of them. I I, well, that that was what I was going to say. Do pick what you can do, pick what you can do, and do a few of these things. Some of these things take no time. Some of them do take a lot of time. But but pick a few. Do what you can, and just be there to encourage your student. I think kids like to learn. I think they do. I know sometimes students are like, oh, you know, do I have to do this? But I do think they love learning new things. I love learning new things. And I think most people do. And and just getting them off on that right foot to, to enjoy school and um, to to just to be encouraged and um, to do well, to do to to get there. And d- don't be overwhelmed. Do what you can. Yeah. Just do one thing, do the next thing. One thing. Yes. Yeah. And I do agree with you that the kids should love school. They should love school. If your child doesn't just love school, work on that and be the detective and tweak some things and figure some things out. I'm going to read super quick to review. Number one, sit in front of the class. Number two, no, no laptops in the classroom. Um, number three, no smartphones in the classroom. Number four, make friends in class. Number five, take handwritten notes. Number six, get a paper planner and don't get behind on homework. Number seven, pay attention to sleep and get enough sleep. Remember teenagers need nine hours and 15 minutes. Um, number eight, meet the teacher in person, either lunch or dinner, or just ask for a visit to, um, you know, even bring him a coffee or something. Number nine, co-view laptop homework at home. Number 10, sign up your children for extracurricular activities. Don't think that you're overscheduling them. They need some extracurricular activities. So I think that's our little summary of all those things. Terrilene, I'm sure the minute we hang up, you and I are both going to think of 10 more things. So we will, we'll keep working on our list. Yes. I, I've actually already thought of an 11th. Can I add it? Oh, you thought really of quickly? Oh, oh go ahead. Of, what is it? Help what is it? Your, help your students learn how to study. Yeah. But yeah. a lot of times students don't know how to study. Don't forget about old school flashcards and that kind of thing. I remember working with my son to help him because he he didn't know how to learn the material, didn't know how to study. And I remember doing little mnemonic things with him. I mean, I remember learning like the word homes, H-O-M-E-S, to know the Great Lakes, like Huron, Ontario, Michigan, 
scary and superior. I mean, just, just I'm just never going to forget. You're never like, going to forget that. <laughs> never going to forget the five Great Lakes. I might never need it, but I'm not going to forget it. And yeah. probably most of you, please excuse my dear Aunt Sally. You remember that from a math class with order of operations. Things like that, those things work. They work. And so having, I, I taught my child how to make up his own. If he ever had a list of things to do, yeah. we make up a mnemonic for him to learn that. And, and just helping them with little things like that to help them know how to study. Because studying is a skill. And you and I have said before, studying is really lonely. Studying is very lonely. When it's you in the book, it's very lonely. So so flashcards, onics, those kind of things. Yeah, getting involved, that's so important. And make it fun and just make it part of your family conversation at dinner. You know, what are you learning? And I love that tip number 11, learn how to study and get those uh, index cards, right? I just bought a huge pack of them um, because they said, mom, we need more index cards. And I'm sure one of their teachers is using that. So thank you. Thank you so much. I want to see if you can add anything to our shopping list here at the end of the show here. I was just making a note as we were talking about a shopping list for parents. You want to get a watch for your child so you don't have to send them to school with your smartphone so they can tell what time of day it is. You want to get an alarm clock for their bedroom so they can wake up on time and learn how to do that. That is a hard skill and you do not need a smartphone to use the alarm. Get notepads for note taking. Get fun books to read so they can have bedtime reading. Get a book light for their bedroom a paper planner so they can write out their day and get organized. Think about calling the the teacher. Okay. That's not really something you put on your shopping list, but that's on your to-do list. So thank you so much for sharing all your tips, Tara Lee. Thank you for coming. Oh, thank you for having me. I've enjoyed it. All righty. Well, I hope that everyone enjoyed listening today. Our parent online course is available for you to start your small group right now at school and be ready for this school year. Do this now in the beginning of the school year. Use it like a book club. Get your parents together and start your Screen Strong tribe right now in school with the course. You also get that 30-day detox. We'd love for you to join our community and get support from like-minded families. Stay tuned for our big announcement coming in just a few short weeks on our new community program that we'll be having on our website. But for now, continue to jump in the Screen Strong Families Facebook group. We will be actually making announcements there. If you're not on our newsletter list, go to the site and sign up for that today. So you'll get the announcements for the next big thing. Your homework today is to make a list of five school friends and teachers who would enjoy this podcast and actually try to see them in person or call them and just say, hey, we've want to tell you about this organization that can help with some of these questions. This podcast is a perfect way to begin to create that tribe that your kids desperately need. So start planning those get together activities now at the beginning of the year as well with their friends. Remember, we've got your back and we are here to help you figure it all out. So until next time, stand up for your kids, stand out from the crowd and stay strong. Stay strong.